FDBHDD is reminding Georgians to ask their doctor about alternatives to opioid pain medication. Alternatives such as over-the-counter medications and physical therapy can be used to manage pain. More information at opioidresponse.info. Welcome back to another day of Political Rewind out of our new radio studio on uh, 14th Street, the GPB headquarters on 14th Street in Midtown Atlanta. It was fun to read various comments that you all had if you were watching the show on Facebook Live yesterday. Or, you know, by the way, if you can't watch it because you're driving around town, you know, you can go to the website. You can go to politicalrewind.org or you can go. Actually, you should probably go there or you can go to Facebook, the GPB page on Facebook, and, and the, the show will be archived there. So you can watch us when you get a chance to do that. But you all had some really interesting comments about the new studio. We're still getting adjusted to it, but happy to have you all with us for another show today. So let's get right to it. Um, Terry Yanulowitz. State Representative, Democratic State Representative from Smyrna. Good to have you back on the show today, Terry. Thank you for having me. If you live in Smyrna, be sure to go vote today. Oh, yeah. You've got a mayor's election? Mm -hmm. Mayor and all seven city council seats. Oh, my gosh. I didn't realize you had everybody Everybody. up today. All right. All right. Do you know anything about what the polls have looked like so far? I do not. I know that I, I went to my polling place. I like to vote on Election Day. I appreciate and value early voting, and I love to tell people to do early voting. I love to vote on Election Day if it's, at all, if it's possible for me. And it, there was a steady stream of people. I mean, Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, which reminds me, there are m- municipal elections going on all over the state. We'll talk about some of them on the show tomorrow when we get results. The, probably the biggest one in terms of our statewide coverage area, there's a mayor's election in Smyrna. Uh, today, which will be interesting to watch. Jackie Gingrich Cushman uh, is with us again today. We haven't seen you in a while, Jackie. It's good to have you here. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. Conservative columnist. I always read her at JackieCushman.com, which will direct you to her columns on Town Hall, the Town Hall blog. But she also has a brand new book out, Our Broken America. What's the whole subtitle? Our, Our Broken America, Why Both Sides Need to Stop Ranting. And start listening. You've been out touring. I have been. I've been traveling for um, most of the last almost two months. I'm really glad to be in Atlanta this week. Uh, You can listen to the show that Jackie and I did about her book if you go to the Political Rewind page on on the web. Uh, And and you'll find it uh, if you scroll down a bit. We spent an hour talking Mm -hmm. about it. It was fun to do that. And Andy Miller, founder and editor of Georgia Health News, is back with us. Andy, you were here last week helping us understand what we thought we were going to hear from the governor about his ACA and Medicaid waivers. Now the information has been released, and thank goodness you are here to help us. The dummy's guide, in my case, to understanding what he is doing. Well, when it comes to health care, Bill, we're all kind of dummies. No, no. That, right. <laughs> so why don't we do that? Um, why don't we plunge into that a little bit? And, and I'll start just by asking you to help us with some of this, Andy, and then I want everybody to get involved. Uh, the first thing I do want to say, though, is that the governor's office has uh, announced now that the plans have been made public, they're going to have a series of public hearings. They have their first one coming up at the end of this week in uh, Savannah. They go to Bainbridge next week. Gainesville, Kennesaw are all on the schedule. They're going to be in Macon, Rome. Um, So there are plenty of places where people are going to get to go to weigh in on on what they think of the plan. And I would guess, Andy, that they're going to get some significant pushback, especially on the Medicaid waiver, which is only a partial expansion of Medicaid. And we've already heard from uh, Grady Hospital here in Atlanta, I think from the the Hospital Association, others saying, gee, we were we wanted a, a broader expansion because we need more help. So, But why don't we start by asking you to give us a, a sense of what is the Medicaid uh, portion of this going to look like? Well, the governor, uh, as you said yesterday, came out with his plan, and essentially it targets people who are under 100% of the federal poverty level, which is like a $12,000 income, annual income for an individual. Uh, And those people will be offered coverage, but there will be some significant eligibility restrictions. Uh, The biggest one probably is known as the work requirement, but it's not just work. 
you have to, in order to be eligible, you have to either work, job train, go to school, or volunteer at least 80 hours a month in order to be eligible for this program. In addition, you'll have to pay a monthly premium. Uh, some people will, will pay no premium because their income is so low, but it'll go up to $11 a month uh, for coverage. They'll have to check in periodically once a month for the first six months to verify that they're still eligible. And, uh, and, and at the end of the day, they will be put into either one of two programs. One will be the straight Medicaid program, or if the state thinks it will be cheaper for the state, uh, and they work for a, a company that has health insurance, that they will be uh, essentially have their premium paid for that job-based insurance by the state. There, there are some couple of interesting things, and, and I get you all involved in this. One of the things that I thought was interesting, I talked to the governor's uh, press secretary about it the other day, is that um, the federal government, if you go for the full Medicaid, you take the full bite, uh, you have to insure people, <clears throat> excuse me, up to 138% of poverty level, right? That's and correct. if they And if you, your state does that, they are reimbursed at a 90%. It's the 90 per, 9, 9 to 1 ratio. One of the things I thought was interesting about Governor Kemp's proposal is they're only going to 100%, but the waiver calls for the feds to nevertheless reimburse at 90% of the cost. That's is that being done in other states as well? Has it been successful? Well, the big decision on, on the funding issue happened in Utah because Utah did the same thing. They expanded up just to 100 percent of federal poverty level, and they asked for the 90 percent federal match, which would, as you say, go, goes along with full Medicaid expansion. And the feds turned Utah down for that, and so they are stuck at the 70 or 67 percent federal level. And I think that decision by the feds uh, kind of inf may have influenced what Georgia ended up doing in terms of what they wanted to pay for. Um, Jackie, clearly uh, one of the controversies that some people are, are uh, seeing with this plan is the work training requirement, whatever you call it. Uh, Republicans argue that this gives people incentive to get out there and contribute to the community, to, be, to, to find a job. Um, is it realistic and is it the responsible way to approach this? I think this is um, very interesting. This is exactly what Governor Kemp ran on. He always said he yeah. would never do, right? He, he would never do a full expansion. And so to me, this is he's fulfilling a campaign promise, what he said he would do when he got to office. He's done many of those. So this is, and it's not only that, but it's also very innovative. It's new in terms of the way it's being approached. It's not just work. People talk about work requirement, but it can be work. It can be volunteering. It can be education. There are a lot of different ways that you can earn that credit to make sure that you have access to that. Um, in addition to that, even though it only goes up to 100%, there's another waiver, I know we'll discuss that later, later that is a reinsurance program that right. helps people that are above 100%. Um, so there is a kind of a, a you put those things together and it kind of it makes a lot of sense. So I'm very encouraged by this. I think it's a really smart way to go about it. Um, and for for Republicans, I think the challenge we have is that the core Republican belief is you can't you know, you, you've, you've got to have some skin in the game. You've got to have something that says that you understand what this is and that you participate. And it's really about freedom of, of choice and being make sure that you have individual responsibility. And this does that with also a pathway up to hopefully higher income. Right. A better way of life. You know, Terry, one of the things that's interesting about this argument is that it, it also, in a larger sense, uh, points to an, a bigger argument, which is, is health care a right or is it a, a privilege? Right. Do we need to be spending time determining who is worthy of getting health care? Or, I mean, right now in Georgia, it's what, a 3.6 unemployment rate overall. So I don't know, you know, is that a realistic expectation? It doesn't take into consideration being a caregiver. And by being a caregiver, I don't mean, are you, you know, are you unable to work not just because you are a caregiver to young children? Are you a caregiver to elderly parents, for example, or a disabled spouse? It doesn't take any of that into consideration or the costs of having someone else give care to the people, to your dependents while you're going out there to work those 80 hours a month. It, it I don't know how realistic the plan is to have that work requirement. Um, Andy, so... According to the governor's figures, uh, right now, th this new waiver would cover an additional, what, 50,000 
people in the state where they say also that there are as many as over 400,000 people without insurance in the state. So this really will cover a fairly small uh, number of people compared to the total universe. But they would say, yes, but uh, this now gives people incentive to become, to to raise those numbers to 100,000, 150,000 or whatever, right? Well, I think uh, the hospitals and consumer advocates and Democrats uh, have been disappointed by the 50,000 enrollment number. I think uh, during the session, I remember Republicans talking about 100% of poverty. We could get 200,000 people involved in, in insurance and I think the the, the 50,000 number disappointed people. And as Terry said, there's going to be people that are not going to be eligible, uh, homeless people, people with serious mental illness, people with maybe a f- serious physical disability, maybe a single mom who's caring for young children and has to be there all day long. Uh, so there are going to be a substantial number left out. And, and I think Democrats obviously are going to pounce on this and they're going to say, why not? do the full expansion, take the 90%, and get 10 times as many people covered. Right. I mean, if we're talking about that kind of return on investment with that 90%, if we if, if we were going to get, say, a federal re- match of 9 to 1 for transit, we'd have a lot more rail in Georgia than we probably do today. I mean, this is, this is a massive return on investment that isn't really being talked about because of a campaign pledge. Jackie? Well, I, again, but I do think it's very important. I mean, he ran on this as a campaign issue. I mean, he's delivering as he promised. So to say that he should have done something that he's campaigned opposite of just doesn't make any sense, quite frankly. Um, in terms of the the eligibility, there are around 400, 408,000. They're actually all, if they meet the requirements for volunteering, for for job, for education, they all can. There's not a restriction on the number that can apply. All of them can apply and take part of this. Um, and the expectation of the 50,000 is the expectation of who will do that. But that's not that's a cumulative number at the end of the five year period because the the assumption is that people will begin this and then work their way up and move above the ladder to 100 percent. So it isn't just 50. It's not a clean, I think, you know, comparison to say just 52,000 of the 408, because all 408,000 can, if they want to, can participate in this if they meet the requirements. But but I have to say, though, that there are going to be some people that are just aren't going to be able to work physically or with mental illness or whatever, and it might be a caregiver situation, that they just can't do that. And, and I think that's, that's factored in. I mean, they had the actuaries try to f- come up with a number of 50,000, 52,000, and I, I think they recognize that, you know, this is the number we're going to get probably. All right. Well, so let me, let me um, change the uh, framing of this a little bit, Jackie. Um, it is so the people who don't have insurance right now who are looking for a Medicaid waiver or perhaps the other uh, other waiver that the governor uh, also uh, is going to apply for, which we'll talk about in a minute, um, they they have specific and immediate needs. The when when a Grady Hospital or the Georgia Hospital Association says that one of the things that concerns them about uh, this particular plan is that. It's not going to handle – they are going to continue. Grady Hospital, rural hospitals are going to continue having to absorb the cost for a great many people who don't have insurance at all. And then it becomes, as I say, expanding the frame, a problem for all of us because it affects how our tax dollars are spent. It affects whether we have delivery of services in some rural areas. How do you deal with that part of this? I think I think part of the and, I, and you've got a very good point. So, um, but and, and we've been doing that for a long time, as you know. You, you go to Grady, and you and I've, and I've happened to have gone to Piedmont for an emergency, like a real emergency with my child, a broken arm, whatever. And you see people in there that obviously have coming there for primary care services because they don't have in any Grady. Else. No, no, in, in Piedmont. Piedmont, okay. Um, so it's the same thing. Emergencies pull, pull up whoever got happens you. to be there, right? So I think the part of the challenge is because we're in such a, a tremendous time of change from a technology standpoint and medical information standpoint is that we almost have to reimagine what health would look like because we're trying to fix a system that, quite frankly, you can't fix with no matter how much money there is. And part of what we have to think about in the long term is not only care, medical care, but also preventative medicine because you can't, as we become increasingly, um, you know, you know, have more diabetes, have more Alzheimer's, have more different problems, we can't solve those problems with just more money. We actually have to have real solutions. So I know 
for Alzheimer's, for instance, we have a research center at Emory, and they, they think they're very close and they can see in the future where you can actually cure Alzheimer's. So I think we have to look outside the box and think about what can we do preventative-wise to prevent problems. And part of what I like about this Georgia Pathways is not only is it um, require people to you know, to have job training or education or volunteering, but also provides um, some incentives in terms of good, healthy behavior, which I really like about that because part of it is, you know, how to incent people. And we do that in my husband's plan. We have incentives if we join sports teams. We have incentives if we do other things that are healthy, right, flu vaccinations, et cetera. And I think that's a really positive part of what the governor is doing. But practically applying this, if you're going going back to that single mother, you're you're supposed to figure out your child care, whether you're volunteering or working somewhere, you need you need child care for your child and you're supposed to now then pay for your kid to do a sports team. I mean, I I, I understand the, the the intent, but I just question the practicality of Look, the implementation. Go ahead. And I, answer say, it, I, then say, I, I wanna... And I think the, the real challenge, I think the solution to this, because I, I work on a variety of nonprofits. So one of the ones that I work on is a. Um, a group called Our House, and they work with homeless newborns and their 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 um, families. And the goal is a self-sufficient family for every child. And part of what we work on is, you know, wh- where can they go where they don't have to pay, but they get they, right that they're they're private places that you can right have scholarships for people. So I think there are a lot of ways to do this. I don't think you can do it though, um, you know, nationally or or globally. I think what you have to do is do it in community and figure out how to best solve those problems. All right. So let me th- let me change the uh, framing of this again, Andy. Uh, the way this is going to work it's it'll be the end of the year they'll have the public hearings they'll maybe tweak a little here and there and then by the end of the year they'll actually submit these waivers to the federal government so early next year we'll know whether these waivers have been granted but i believe i'm correct that that the kemp administration being close to to the trump white house has some fairly good reason to believe that they're going to get what they're asking for i think yeah well, they say they've been in constant contact yes. with both CMS and the White House about this. CMS uh, is? The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. They will ultimately make the decision on the waivers. Uh, so, and you, you would think that the Trump administration has gone on record saying, look, we want innovation. Give us some big ideas, and we'd love to take a look at them. So I think they've been encouraged to, to go ahead and think outside the box. Is there anything wrong with coming up with big ideas in in health insurance? Absolutely not. I mean, one thing that the uh, administration does, the Kemp administration points out, is, is, is the fact that this is something. It's, uh, you know, there will be some people covered, and, and one more person covered is a good, is one more yeah, person Yeah, I mean, one covered. of the things, Terry, the Kemp administration is saying about this is, look, People have complained for a long time that Republicans have not been able to come up with any kind of health care plan. They've been attacking ACA since it was first passed, uh, if, if not for John McCain's uh, famous thumbs down, they might have had a new uh, the ability to move forward. Uh, but so the Kemp people are saying, look, here's a Republican administration that is trying to do something. Right. And to which I say, and again, I appreciate that. I wonder about the practical implementation of this. And I also know that in my district, House District 42, which is entirely in Cobb County in Georgia, almost 31 percent of the people in my district do not have health coverage. So how many? It's that it's, high. I thought it was a typo, Bill, the first time I saw that statistic. And this is from 2017. It's very high. 22.5% of the kids in House District 42 do not Wait, have health coverage. So I, I don't want to, uh, this is not a stump the panelist question, but what can you tell us about the demographics of your district that would lead us to understand what that 31% means? Well, 23% of the people in my district are below the federal poverty limit. Okay. So that, I think, okay. has a lot to do with it. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, they're and in the coverage gap, which they're they- in the coverage gap. That's right. Which means uh, they don't qualify for the subsidies in the health insurance exchange and they don't currently qualify for Medicaid. Right. So I don't know if this plan is really going to help a whole lot of the people in my community. Well, and that leads to the question I wanted to ask to to move the conversation in another direction. Uh, By the time this is all vetted and the feds come back with their decisions on this, we're going to be in the midst of another legislative election. I mean, we're going to be in the midst of an entire 20... 20 election campaign, but certainly legislative races are going to be very important. So this is going to play right into those races and voters are going to have an opportunity to weigh in on how they feel about what they're seeing here, Andy. Right. None of it will be implemented next year. 
but it will be out there in the campaigns, and I'm sure the Republicans are saying, look, we're, we're taking these steps to do to improve health care, and I'm sure the Democrats are going to say, hey, look, you could have done a lot better job. Okay, so that's what I wanted to ask. It will be a done deal by the time campaigns really are in full motion, right? Well, we think so, but the feds do have some wiggle room in terms of timing here. Okay, it's but never take a few months. Okay, but nevertheless, Jackie, voters will know what did or didn't happen, and they might look at legislation. They might be asking their their uh, uh, candidates how they feel about all this. Well, I mean, of course they will. They do, they do that every election season about <laughs> everything. But we well, do I guess what mean, I mean is, what does it mean? Right. How important will it no, be? No, and, and I th- and I think we we can sit here and guess about that. But I mean, what we do know is that. Brian Kemp ran, ran on a, a platform of I'm not going to have full expansion, um, and he was elected. And so he's fulfilling that campaign promise, and he's laying on a very innovative program that I, hopefully will be well received from the federal government, depending on you know how close communication was. And hopefully it will be passed through fa- fast, and we'll see what happens. But I think this actually is strong for the Republicans. It fulfills his promises. It's very innovative. It's interesting. And it doesn't solve all the problems in the world. But from the Republican standpoint, we never want to trade off. Um, you know, you don't want to trade off rights in terms of rights because the, the, the challenge is if you give full control over to the government the only way they can actually control everything is to control people and that's not a that's not a trade we're willing to make terry do you think that this will uh, be an opportunity for democrats to make gains oh yes i think that you're going to have folks on the republican side side saying look kemp made a promise he's not going to expand medicaid and then democrats are going to say look Here's what expanding Medicaid would do in our community, and this is what he's giving up. All right, let me. We we. I, I want to move on, um, and I want to. If if it's okay with you, Andy, the other wa- waiver, which has to do with uh, the state's ability to help supplement the costs of uh, ACA exchanges, whatever. For my, I. It's way too complicated for me to understand. <laughs> Do you mind if I grab at the one point of it, part of it that I think is particularly sure. interesting, sure. and and then see if how you can illuminate this for us? Um, one of the thi- what's the other waiver called? What's the number on that one? It's thirteen thirty two. Okay, and that one does deal with the exchanges. Correct. Okay, part of that, as I said, is they've come up with a plan to put some what three hundred plus million dollars into. Paying insurance companies for high-risk cases, right? Reinsurance is, has been proved to bring down the premium costs for individuals who do the exchange. Because if you've got a, a particular patient with tremendous medical right. needs— Then the, the insurance company, uh, their costs get offset by, okay. that, by so, that fund. So that's a pretty good thing, Yes. Uh, I think both sides of uh, the the aisle would say yes, and we've seen it work in something like a dozen states. And and Mm -hmm. Georgia's doing it a little bit differently than most of them in the fact that they're targeting some regions that are particularly high cost. And and I think I'm correct that many of the regions that are going to get the most benefit out of this are South Georgia. South Georgia, Southwest Georgia. Not a lot of competition among providers, very little competition among insurers. Uh, a lot of people with without coverage and a lot of people with chronic disease. Okay, but Terry, at some point when this thing is being discussed, you're going to have legislators, your colleagues here in Metro Atlanta saying, hey, wait a minute, we need some help on this as well. It may be a good idea in theory, but it's going to cause some real uh, interesting uh, challenges in the legislature. It will. It was also interesting listening to you list where the public hearings are, and the closest one in Metro Atlanta is Kennesaw. Yeah. Well, isn't that close? Uh, okay. Further than Smyrna. Yes, it is. All right. So let me ask you. Okay. Here's the other one. Yeah. Uh, the the other the part of this waiver is to essentially pull Georgia off the federal healthcare.gov website, the exchanges that are available there, and create a Georgia-style exchange so that when I, as a as an individual, go to healthcare.gov during the enrollment period, I won't get the federal exchanges. I'll get a Georgia-designed group of insurers who will have separate plans uh, of their own. And there's like $12.2 billion that would come to the state to be able to deal with this? Well, you will get whisked to a new landing whisked. page. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow, electronically, if it, if it works, if it works, where you will have a choice of using like an e-health broker 
You can go there and have somebody look at all the plans for you, or you can deal directly with a health insurance company that you may have existing coverage with. And uh, so the state says that healthcare.gov is a cumbersome, clunky, complicated way of signing up for coverage. We want to do it in a more consumer-friendly way. Uh, my, uh, my only concern, one concern about that that people have expressed is once you start a healthcare, new healthcare IT program, the experience has been it never works as well as you think it's going to. I, that starts. was the first thought I had. Jackie, remember when healthcare.gov was launched? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and now Brian Kemp is saying, bring it to me. <laughs> I, I, think it's, I think his theory is that Georgians can do it better than they can do in D.C. And I, I'm not, not going to dispute that theory at all. Um, but I do think it's interesting. I want to go back to the point about the different regions, and I think there's a, there's a reason for that. It's both currently, and I think you mentioned this, Andy, is that when you look at the, the premiums across the areas, metro Atlantas are lower on average than the rest of the state. So it's not that – so in the end, they'll still be – they won't get any higher. They're still going to go down as well. They'll also decrease, but they're already so low because of competition that you don't need to have the subsidies as much as you need to have them in the rural areas because they're paying so much more – for the same, basically the same monthly premium than anywhere else in the metro area. Terry, when you saw that part of the plan, what were your thoughts? Honestly, I'm thinking when we're talking about bringing all that technology back to Georgia, I'm thinking about how super it was to try to file things electronically with the Secretary of State's website for the past several years, and yeah. how is that going to be translated to a larger website for healthcare. Is there is there going to be savings? I mean, I know they predict there will be because they can offer plans that may not live up to the federal standard, right, Andy? Well, that's part of that 1332 waiver yeah. is is that mm -hmm. they want to ask the feds, can we use these subsidies yes. to for a plan that may not cover a specific essential health benefit that's covered today? Could be prescription drugs, could be maternity could be mental health. Their, their argument is, look, if you're 60 years old and single, uh, you don't need maternity coverage. Uh, and so they, they want to allow uh, people to be able to buy something without maternity coverage. But, that, but a lot of people think if that's the case, then if you are a couple, young couple in your 20s, you yeah. want to have kids, you're, the cost of your policy will go up. It will go up. It will go up. And that's... What makes insurance affordable is when you have everyone Spread paying. the risk. Right. All right, let's do that. we got to get a break in. Uh, we've gone too long without one. Um, so let's take that. When we come back, let's move on. There's going to be plenty more time on shows ahead to talk about what's going on with the Kemp waivers. I want to talk a little bit about the Democratic side of health care and get responses from everybody, particularly on Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and their Medicare for All plans. And let's talk about the politics of that less than about the data, the details of their plans. This is Political Rewind. We'll be right back. Time to clean up the garage? Start with that vehicle you no longer need and donate it to this station. It's easy. Pickup is free. It could be worth hundreds of dollars in support. And you could even get a tax deduction. Get the process started today. Give us a call to learn more about the advantages of donating a vehicle. And thanks very much for your support. Call 877-GPB-1-CAR or go to gpb.org slash cars. On the next Fresh Air, hearing in a deafening world, we talk with journalist David Owen. He says we take our ears for granted, abusing them with rock concerts, loud restaurants, and power tools. Most of us will lose some hearing before we reach retirement age. His new book, Volume Control, explores the mystery of tinnitus, breakthroughs like cochlear implants, and more. Join us. Fresh Air is this afternoon at 3 on GPB and gpbnews.org. In our brand spanking new Political Rewind radio studio for today's show, Jackie Gingrich Cushman, Terry Anulowitz, uh, and Andy Miller. Uh, a couple of quick notes. Uh, Tom Faust said in my ear during the break two things. Number one, he said if you aren't on Facebook Live right now, GPB News page on Facebook Live, you might want to be. There's apparently a really good conversation going on among all of you out there about health care and how you feel about it. Second is that uh, breaking news, Gordon Sondland, of course, the ambassador to the European Union, a big donor of 
President Trump's, who was put in that position and who testified before the impeachment committee, uh, the, the intelligence committee, a couple of weeks back, has now changed his story uh, because his transcript is being released and he is now saying, yes, uh, there really was clearly a quid pro quo. So make of that what you will. Uh, Andy, we're now watching uh, the Democrats. They'll be in town debating on November 20th, and there's no question that health care, once again, or health insurance is more to the point, I think, will be on the agenda, and we will continue to see, I assume, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders uh, push as far to the left as they possibly can on, on, on this issue, Medicare for all. Elizabeth Warren released, she's been accused of not having the numbers to support her plan. She finally put out a specific detailed uh, proposal for a $20.5 trillion plan. People are still questioning whether her numbers add up. Let's talk about the bigger question from my point of view, and that is what, what are voters going to make of Medicare for all the cost of it, Sanders' plan would increase taxes on the middle class. Warren insists hers won't, but nobody, very few experts believe that can possibly happen. Uh, you're going to deny people the group insurance they've had, any private insurance they've had. How does this play in the 2020 election cycle? Uh, I think in some ways a tough sell. Uh, you have a lot of Democratic candidates other than them who say, let's build upon what we've got now, Obamacare and private insurance. But Warren and Sanders are taking the point, look, Medicare is a very popular program run by the feds. They're saying, look, you don't have to work with as a consumer. You'll get better coverage uh, for less money and we won't have the insurance companies around to kind of uh, take their particular profit away from it. Uh, it's very expensive, and I think, I, I think politically, you're telling 150 million Americans that look, we're going to take away your insurance and put you on Medicare. Now, Medicare is a good program, believe me, but there's going to be people that are going to say, you know, I kind of like my private insurance, uh, you know, and there may be some problems with it, but but to tell some people that you tell that many million people that you're going to remove what they've got and put them on something else when they don't really know what the something else is, is going to be a tough political sell. Terry, uh, there are a lot of people out there who think that Democrats really do have a chance to beat uh, President Trump this year. We've got some interesting polls on both sides of that. Uh, if you have an Elizabeth Warren with a Medicare for All or Bernie Sanders with a Medicare for All plan, how hard will it be in Georgia to win votes? I think pretty hard. I think Medicare for All is a terrific slogan. I think that if you're looking at the lack of consensus among even the presidential candidates about Medicare for All and what it would mean to have such a fundamental radical change in how we approach health care in the United States, regardless of what the numbers might be or what the potential outcome might be, I think that you need to pull some Trump voters over to the Democratic side. I think that's that's the reality of a lot of the math that, that we're seeing in terms of how we defeat President Trump. So do you want to go all in on something that isn't overwhelmingly popular even among Democratic voters. You know, Jackie, I'll let you answer that the way you want, but I'll add <laughs> another question on top of that, which is, uh, you know, even if these plans, if everybody agreed, wow, this is terrific, they're bold. They're certainly bold. They <laughs> certainly are efforts to try to create a universal health care uh, in, the, in the United States. Nobody would argue that we need that, I think. But even if you love everything about them, do we have a memory for what it was like trying to pass Obamacare in the first place? How in the heck will you ever get either of these plans through a divided Congress? You know, it just seems crazy. Well, they wouldn't. But to me, what's interesting from a political standpoint is um, throughout this process, at least so far, it can always change. The Democratic nomination has been um, a run to the left. And so you see policy after policy trying to figure out how far left can you run because they're trying, again, it's part of the challenge is they're running for the Democratic nomination. They're not running in the general election. Well, yet, wait, you yet. Would, it's true about Warren. It's true about uh, um, it, it's true about Sanders. 
You can't say it's true about Pete Buttigieg and, or, and, or, or even Cory Booker in many ways, can you? Not in this specific issue, but if you look at the variety of issues, then oh. somebody brings up something, then someone else grabs it, right? Like, oh, that's getting headlines, right? So so this is something that, that Bernie Sanders has talked about for a long time. This is not anything new for Sanders. He promises free everything, right? So whether it's free, you know, it's free this, free that, free everything, this is one of the many things that we're just going to have. So I think that's kind of the process of the Democratic, um, the primary process, and the reality is, you know, I, I don't I don't think it matters who they nominate. I think I think President Trump will win. Um, so to me, from my perspective as a Republican, I think it's more interesting than anything else. But it does kind of set up what what are the key issues going to be during the general election? All right. It's going to be interesting to watch it. What I was saying, by the way, to be clearer, is crazy. Is the notion that we would want to fight this fight in Congress again, again. The idea of universal health coverage seems like a, a pretty good one. It'll be interesting to see Republicans make moving in that direction, too. Um, but but I think the congressional battle will be uh, pretty overwhelming to deal with. Uh, so let's talk, Andy, uh, all of you, about just what Jackie said, the polling. We have some very different results of recent polls in terms of the presidential race right now. And the, the one of the most interesting things that happened today, ABC News and the Washington Post released a new poll, which shows President Trump be, uh, being beaten by a wide margin by, by all of the top contenders on the Democratic side. I won't go into the specific numbers, but but uh, but all of the top contenders, including Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, Joe Biden, Pete Buttigieg, they beat Trump in what? frankly, fantasy matchups. These, these polls, Andy, always make me a little nervous because you don't know what's going on until you have a candidate. But the polls show Trump will have trouble nationwide against um, all of the Democrats right now, all the, the top contenders, right? Well, he's got that, um, you know, he's got a high disapproval rating. But uh, I think, as as you referenced, it, it comes down to what ha- what's happening in, in the states that are going to be the battle. There you go. And that's the question, Terry. Mm-hmm. If you look at the New York Times-Siena poll that just came out earlier this week, in Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Florida, Arizona, and North Carolina, key battleground states, Trump beats Biden, Sanders, and Warren in virtually every one of them. And that's where the election is really going to be decided. In large degree, yes. And that is – it. It's, and that's why I think the messaging it's, it's, is going to be important. It's going to be getting your messaging beyond what plays really well at a rally and when you are polling the Democratic base and what is actually going to get you that majority of the votes in the general election. And I think that the general election electorate is they don't go to the left as primary voters do. And that's a really tricky thing. If you're if I'm a presidential candidate, which I'm glad I'm not having to navigate <laughs> the, those waters. So, you know, how do you make it out of the primary? And then, you know, you want to talk about what promises are you making? Promises made, promises kept. Are you going to make something, make a promise during the primary that might not be something that general elector, general election voters really want to see, even yeah. the Democrats? Yeah, Jackie, all things equal, considered equal uh, between the Washington Post ABC poll and the New York Times poll. It does strike me that the New York Times battleground state poll is probably right now more meaningful and it's better news for Republicans than Democrats. Well, absolutely. I mean, the, the state is. I mean, the the, nas- the national polls are, are interesting, but that's not how the race the race is done, right? It's it's based on the electoral college and how votes are gained in certain states, and then we know so, some states are going to go certain ways regardless, pretty much. And so you do have these battleground states you have to look at. Uh, and I think you know if you look at where we are today, we've had a great you know economy in terms of we had great news yesterday. I think about the number of jobs again, again up, the stock market's up, low unemployment. Um, the Fed's just reduced rates. I mean, so from an econo- you know, economic standpoint, we're in great shape. And um, America works best when Americans are working. And right now, Americans are working. And so I think unless something happens, you know, catastrophic to the to the economy, that President Trump is really but, set up for a good election. But you know what, Terry? Everything Jackie just said is perfectly reasonable and true. Uh, and it's they're great Republican. They're, they're p- talking points for many Republicans. President Trump's approval numbers are still really they're, bad. They're, they're low. They're bad. And we're not going into a season of news that's probably going to be particularly favorable and kind to Donald Trump. Yeah. I mean, the one thing Jackie didn't mention in all things that are happening is 
he's under threat of impeachment. Right. <laughs> well, that, no, I mean, we, we can talk about that if you'd like, if you'd like to. I'm glad to talk about it. I don't want to get that. too okay. deep into weeds <laughs> on that. You, all right, you, because I brought it up, make a quick point about that. When we get into impeachment, the show goes completely off the rails. Oh, no, and I know. And I mean, I think that, you, I mean, until, you know, until they change the rules so that the minority in the House, because, you know, as, you know as, we, as we know here, uh, the Democrats are in charge of the House, and Speaker Nancy Pelosi, they started the, the proceedings. But the way the rules are set right now is that, unlike the, the Clinton impeachment, the minority members have no right to subpoena anybody. And so the way the rules are structured right now, it's just not its just not a fair proceeding. Well, they do under the rules that are passed by the House for the actual inquiry, which is uh, the actual uh, impeachment itself, which is about to get underway with public hearings. They do have that power. But currently they have they have no right. Okay. I, mean, if, I mean, go look at okay. the transcript. And, I, and the one thing I would tell people is, you know, there's so much misinformation in the, on the news and, you know, from the news standpoint. Go go and read the original transcript. Go and read the transcripts from the, if you have time from all the um, from all the hearings. Go read the actual words that were said when, when Trump made the call and don't rely on what, how someone skews the news. All right. The Republican take on impeachment from Jackie Gingrich Cushman. Let's do this. Let's get another break out of the way. And when we come back, let's get back to some uh, news involving the state of Georgia itself. This is Political Rewind. I am David Moses, Director of Public Relations and Communications for the Weston Hilton Head Island Resort and Spa. What makes the Weston Hilton Head Island Resort and Spa so spectacular? As soon as you walk out from any one of our hotel rooms, you are feet away from the Atlantic Ocean and the pristine natural environs that Hilton Head Island offers. We underwrite with Georgia Public Broadcasting because we believe in the high quality programming it delivers. To find out more about becoming a corporate sponsor, email sponsorship at gpb.org. Amazon has lost a massive defense contract to Microsoft called JEDI. It's the project to move the U.S. military to the cloud. Now Amazon is expected to go to bat with the Pentagon over this decision. A year ago, there was an 80% chance Amazon's going to win the deal. They were popping the champagne, getting ready to win. What happens next? This afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. 4 till 7 today on GPB and gpbnews.org. Uh, Jackie Gingrich Cushman, uh, President Trump, comes to town on Friday. He's holding a major fundraiser, $2,800 just to get a ticket for the lunch and $100,000 per person to be part of some roundtable discussion and maybe get a MAGA cap, I hope, for that money, and $35,000 to have a picture. Man, He's going to bring in a ton of money while he is here. Oh, Not only, um, you know, to Democrats, we've heard about Democrats talking about they're having the debate here. There's a lot of heightened, you know, focus on Georgia. But clearly, Georgia is a very, very important state for Republicans and for President Trump. Okay, but one of the other things that's interesting, Terry, is that while he is here, he is going to launch this new effort to uh, bring black voters into the Trump under the Trump uh, banner. Uh, Let me before I give you a chance to talk about it this morning on On Second Thought, uh, we we had two guests uh, were on the show, Leo Smith, who's frequently, of course, on Political Rewind. Um, but Virginia Prescott also talked to Karen Walker, who's formed a new organization called Black Voices for Trump. Let's hear what she told Virginia about why she is out there working to attract more African-Americans to Trump's side. It's uh, let's go for sound number two, Tom. Thank you. When you talk about black Americans, we tend to lag behind every segment um, that you can think of, whether it's unemployment, whether it's wages, whether it's education, right. whether it's whatever that you can think of, that's what it is. Those are the things that Donald Trump spoke about. So when he said, um, give me a chance, what do you have to lose? Well, look at where we, where we were before 2016. We were not doing as well. We were doing better. I'm not, I'm not trying to take away, but I, I think he has um, done what he said he had done. Uh, that's uh, Karen Walker. I just made a rude gesture, uh, if you're watching on Facebook, for which I apologize to the uh, control room. Uh, it had nothing to do with the panel. It had to do with figuring out which soundbite we were going to use. So I apologize if you're watching out there. Terry, what do you think about that? Well, in 2016, 8% of African Americans voted for Trump. So that's quite a hill to overcome. In Georgia, 94% of black voters voted for Stacey Abrams in the gubernatorial election last year. His 
I won't say his brand, but Trump has been very slow to denounce white supremacists. And his Twitter feed, he likes to amplify and does amplify the messages of white nationalists and white supremacists. I'm going to be curious to see how big the room is at the World Congress Center. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch this unfold, Andy. I, I mean, there are, I mean, Trump can point to the economy. Karen Walker makes that point. Uh, you, you know, he can point to the job uh, market right now. There are things that could be attractive to African Americans, but there are all those things that Terry's referring to as well. And, you know, he's made comments about uh, John Lewis's district and Elijah Cummings' district. And, you know, there was the Charlottesville problem, and he's talked about African countries in a derogatory way. So I think that there's certainly African Americans uh, pick up on, on, on that type of. Uh, uh, I guess, thought process against their community. Jackie? I think this is great. I mean, he has, um, you know, but even when he was campaigning, he went, you know, straight after the, the African-American community, I want to, you know, I want to help you. I want to you know, lower unemployment for you. And he's delivered. I mean, once again, he's delivered. The unemployment is down for that particular Okay, but how do you respond to the right. other side? Oh, no, no, I know. But, I, I mean, he is he has shown again and again that he's willing to, not, um, you know, play by the rules and just play on the side. He wants the vote of every American. And he talks again about he wants every American to succeed. And I believe he really does. Um, I think a lot of times things are taken out of context and, th- and things are twisted. But I'm really glad he's here. I'm really glad he's going to have this rally. Um, will will I, you we'll be, be there? Um, n- no, I have I have prior plans with my family. You know how I am about my family. Um, we, we already had a weekend planned. Um, but I'll be interested to see how it turns out. I'm excited for him to come here. Uh Terry? He's going to be coming at you live from the heart of the crumbling 5th District. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Uh, Terry, uh, November 20th, we'll have the Democrats in town. And uh, that I think their decision to go to the Tyler Perry Studios is a it's kind of an inspired choice in many ways, isn't it? I know you'd like to have seen them up closer to you, I assume, up at, say, the uh, Rusty Paul's new place up there in Sandy Springs. But the studios, Tyler Perry's pretty smart uh, way to go. I think it's a great way to go. You know, going back to the City Springs option, I think that that public investment alone has gotten great return on investment in terms of earned media just this week talking about this debate. In talking about Tyler Perry Studios, I actually thought Mayor Bottoms said it really, really said it very well and succinctly. She said, you know, this is a a former military base that was it was a Confederate base. It was built by slaves in large part, and now we're going to have a presidential. It's owned by Tyler Perry, one of the most successful African Americans in in the in the in history, and we're going to put this on the national stage and bring all these Democratic candidates there and make it the heart of the Democratic universe that night. Andy, do you imagine that, uh, uh, as I said, especially after here in Georgia, you know, the national media, when they come into town, clearly likes to pick up on issues that are of significance to local communities. I would think, especially with the Kemp waivers uh, out there in the ether, uh, that they'll be writing a lot about how Georgia's approaching health care. Health care has has come to the top of the polls in terms of uh, national interest. Uh, Americans are saying health care is like either their number one or number two issue. And uh, certainly it'll be a big part of, of the debate in terms of you'll have the Sanders-Warren side and then you'll have the others that want to work within the system. So it, it it's bound to be interesting for health care. Okay. I want to turn to one last issue before we run out of time, if I may. We, we talked about the fact there are municipal elections taking place all over the state today. And in some communities, uh, people are voting, Terry, mm-hmm. on the new machines. I don't. I, I are did. you doing it up there? Yes. Well, I voted on the new machines today. Tell us about the experience because we had, I just saw somebody on Facebook Live who posted about their experience, but you tell us about yours. So- I voted around 11 o'clock this morning. My husband was there at 7 a.m. He said at 7 a.m. there was definitely, you could tell there was a little bit of a learning curve for some of the poll workers. Everybody got it figured out. When I was there, it was smooth. I went, I, you know, signed the form. You fill out the form with your name and address and what election you're voting in, just like you always do. Turn it in. You give them your driver's license. And I got a piece of paper, what looks exactly like the sample ballots that we've always seen over the years here in Georgia. And I went over to the station. Instead of having the computer, the touchscreen display, there was a marker. The mark was tied to to the the little kiosk, and I bubbled in my choices for mayor and for city council. And then I walked my ballot over to a big black box, a machine that was had a poll worker there. I put it in face down. 
it scans it in. It printed out a little, you know, added a receipt. I did not get a receipt, but there was a there's a receipt that's there that has, I guess, a tally, a record of all. When the you say you in. didn't get a receipt, you just didn't choose to take it. I mean, everybody. It was not offered get... to me. I don't know whether or oh. not I was supposed to get one, but one was not offered. Um, then I got my sticker and I was on my way. Um, so it was a good experience. Overall, it was. It, it, it was, you know, it was different. They had the they had uh, ballot marking devices. I guess the electronic machines were available for folks who were not, you know, who are disabled, who aren't able to use the marking device or the, the pen, the, the the pen for whatever reason. But it overall went pretty smoothly, and I was impressed with turnout. Um, the question, Jackie, is whether the state is going to be able to get all of the machines. Uh, the thousands, tens of thousands of machines in place for the March uh, presidential primary. And the Secretary of State's office is under an enormous amount of pressure to make that happen. So is Dominion, the vendor that uh, got the contract to do this. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, we, it's very important for both sides of the aisle. I mean, everyone wants to have an election where you can make sure that you can get there, you can turn your vote in, and it's counted accurately. Um, so my guess is they're working very hard. Uh, hopefully it'll all go smoothly. And, um, and what we, you know, we don't know until we get there, but I'm sure they're running against the clock as fast as they can. All right. Um, I was trying to find the uh, comment from uh, one of our Facebook Live people. I can't see it right now, but this person, too, did say that he didn't have any problems with uh, voting at okay. all. So uh, that's, that's terrific. Good. Yeah, I think training for the poll workers is going to be very important so they understand exactly how these machines operate. And I think, you know, like, like Jackie said, everybody wants all the votes to count. And I think one of the most important things we can have here is have voter trust in no matter how they're casting their ballot. We need voters on both sides, you know, both parties. We need everyone to trust that their vote is being counted, that the system does work and that the system is safe. But I think that's just one of the questions. Right. If it looks like a scramble, Andy, to the finish, to get all these machines running, to get everybody trained, uh, to see the lines at polling places as people, you know, maybe maneuver a little more slowly than they used to. It's just that this fear that people are going to it's going to continue this uh, this theme that suggests that we have to be a little suspicious of how uh, voting is unfolding. Yeah, voting security is a huge issue. And I, let's just hope that we can get our act together in enough times to make the experience on Election Day smooth and accurate in everybody's vote count. Mm -hmm. So maybe, maybe we should see if we can find some of the Atlanta-based people that have huge followings on social media, some of the actors, et cetera, see if they'll do a little PSA for us, show us how to vote before we go there. Why don't you do that? Huh? Well, I don't have very many followers. I'm, <laughs> I'd be glad to. I'm right. thinking of people that actually have right. you know, millions we, of followers. We are out of time uh, for today's show. Terry Nullowitz, thank you so much uh, for you. being here. Jackie Gingrich-Cushman, tell us the name of the book one more time. Our Broken America, Why Both Sides Need to Stop Ranting, and start listening. Available on Amazon or at wherever. Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, wherever you, wherever books are sold. Andy Miller, Georgia Health News. What what will people see when they go to GeorgiaHealthNews.com as the big stories right now? Well, they'll they'll see the waiver, and they'll also see that Georgia's the first state to have a Walmart health center, which is a new concept by the Arkansas retailer. All right, GeorgiaHealthNews.com. That's correct. Andy Miller. Uh, thank all of you for being with us uh, for today's show. We're back again tomorrow too. Oh. Tomorrow, Speaker of the House David Ralston joins us for a conversation as the session uh, is getting, you know, as they're getting set for the session to unfold in January. And uh, Greg Bluestein will be here with me to talk to the speaker. So please join us. It ought to be an interesting show. I'm Bill Nygut. See you tomorrow at 2.